It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. It is Monday and it's presented by New York Lottery. So glad you could join us for the next hour. I'm Paul Dottino, Super Bowl champion putter Jeff Fiegels is here with us. You can dial us up at 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. You can also find us on Twitter at hashtag GiantsChat. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere at Giants.com slash podcasts. And we begin the show today, Jeff, with some news from the football Giants. Within the last 15 minutes, they announced that Xavier McKinney and O'Shane Zimenez have been designated to return to practice off of the injured reserve list. And Kreider and Dixon, two special teamers, have been activated off the COVID list. Nice. Yeah, well, we were kind of we were anticipating McKinney coming back after the after the bye. Um, and Zimenez probably was ready to go before that. He just had to stay off of there for for the extended period of time that's required. Right, Paul? So. That's good news and good news for the defense. Well, how much those guys are going to play, I don't know. You know, it's tough to just to come back after, you know, that type of a layoff and just jump right into a football game. But, you know, the other two guys, uh, I think, you know, they were on the COVID list. It didn't mean they had COVID. Um, so they are most likely going to certainly be back for the Cincinnati game. And we'll, we'll see about Josh uh, um, uh, Gano and just see where he's at, you know, because he was the one that – it's really amazing to me that – and because we're not down there and, you know, you see how all this is happening is how this, um, you know, all the technology that goes into this contact tracing stuff, Paul, that, you know, because obviously Graham Gano was had had COVID and then they trace it back to the guys that are around him. And of course, Riley Dixon and 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 uh, Kreider are both the guys that were were near him. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. But, you know, good news. You know, the Giants had a nice bye week. I'm sure the. Uh, coaches and players got a little time off over the weekend just to kind of get their minds right and six games left in a wild wild division after what happened this weekend yes indeed no doubt about that and I tell you something Jeff uh, this NFC East is insane <laughs> you've got four teams all with three victories Philadelphia at three six and one a half a game ahead of the other three teams because of that tie against the Cincinnati Bengals earlier this season and so it truly is a six game sprint now, the Giants, if you're just interested in this, and I posted it on Twitter uh, earlier overnight, uh, the Giants are in a situation where if they were to max out, and I'm not saying they will, but if they were to max out, the only team that could destroy their destiny is Philadelphia by maxing out themselves. If the Giants should max out, they would knock off the Cowboys and the Washington football team. There's no way that those two teams could could win a tiebreaker against the Giants uh, should the Giants max out at 9-7. and seven. I offer a couple of quick items to you, Jeff. And look, <laughs> history is history. It doesn't mean a hill of beans today. But I remember Dan Reeves' second year with the Giants back in 1994. The Giants had, uh, you know, won their first three games. Then they lost three, uh, seven in a row, and they were 3-7. and seven. And then they went on and won six in a row to close out the schedule. And from three and seven, which is where they are today, they finished at nine and seven, 
but they lost a conference playoff wild card tiebreaker to the Chicago Bears, and so the Bears got to go to the playoffs, and the Giants had to stay home. So history, if it means anything at all, and I know that it does not, uh, it does show the Giants that they certainly uh, have done this before in their franchise's background. Having said all of that, I think we both know that the schedule is too unpredictable because you never know what kind of injuries or what kind of COVID tests are going to change a team's lineup on any given Sunday. Yeah, so you just got to take it one week at a time. I know it's a cliche, but if, if there's any time to use that cliche, it's now in, in the environment that the teams are in because that's really what you got to do is just one week at a time. And not only for the other teams that you're playing, but your own team, you never know what could happen. You know, COVID and injuries and things like that. And, you know, going forward with those other teams on the schedule, you don't know what their schedule is going to be, or excuse me, their roster is going to be like because the fact that they have guys returning from injured reserve in this new world of IR and practice squad, um, you know, guys put up and down on the practice squad, all that kind of stuff. So it is changing, but, you know, you stay the course. One week at a time, get your game plan for this week. And this week's at Cincinnati for the New York Giants. And, you know, they lost a quarterback yesterday that was really, uh, you know, was having an amazing scene, uh, season for a rookie but, you know, it's just another game now. So they got to go up there and win win the game. And is it at home or away? I'm sorry. I didn't the even Giants know. The Giants are in Cincinnati. But they you are. raise okay. a good point, Jeff, because what you said a moment ago melts into what I said about 90 seconds ago. The Cincinnati Bengals are not the same team when Burrow and Mixon are not in their offensive backfield. And both of them will not be in the offensive backfield. That yes. is correct. Yeah, now, that's 100%. not to say you can sleepwalk into Cincinnati and just pack not. a victory in your back pocket. But it is clearly going to impact the level of the opponent that you're playing. And who's to say that in a couple of weeks that Russell Wilson, who has been harassed in the pocket all season long by a Seahawks offensive line that has not given him much protection, who's to say that Russell Wilson will even play against the Giants on December 6th? I would bank that he you would. Don't the know guy that. didn't miss games. I mean, he's yeah, a tough right? dude. I mean, I tell you what, no matter what he's behind, he doesn't miss games. No, that is true. Um, he, he's he very Eli-like, isn't he? Yes, he is. And, uh, you know, quite the competitor, quite the player. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much you want to talk a little bit about, you know, the Giants. and But I did watch the game yesterday. I told you that you and I were texting back and forth. I did watch the game on the Rewind. I didn't watch it live yesterday. But, um, man, do they throw the football. Holy smokes. I mean, I, I thought I was like on a, on a highlight film of just continuously uh, running pass plays when I was watching this game. Um, and, and, man, they just they like to throw it all over the place. But, you know, they don't – Joe Burrow, obviously, you know, him being hurt gave them a – you know, it didn't, what a good, good chance to not to win that game. I mean, the Redskins, they played pretty well to win. But, uh, you know, missed field goals and then the opportunity for them to – to close out the game after Joe Burrow went out of the lineup, just really struggled. So I, I think the Giants have a good opportunity to go up there and, and you know, as long as they, they do what they got to do and take care of business, they got a good chance to win this weekend. There is Continue. no doubt that the Bengals are a pass-happy team. Holy I mean, smokes, that's, right, that's, Paul? I mean, that's well, it's where their talent lies. The problem well, is sure. they're a pass-happy team with not much of an offensive line. Yeah. And that becomes a huge problem. Burrow yesterday completed 21 passes in the first half of the game against Washington, which was an NFL season high sure. for a first On half of the game. On 29 attempts. Yes. Well, you know why? Half. Because it was all quick game. Yeah. Everything was short and quick game. Well, he was to. accurate. 
uh, he was he was incredibly fast in getting rid of the ball, and and they were certainly moving the ball. They had a couple of missed field goals. They had a, mi- a missed extra point. They had a fumble. I mean, they kept short-circuiting themselves, but they certainly moved the ball up and down the field against Washington. But then, I hate to say this, because it's obviously an emotional loss when your leader gets injured on the field as seriously as Burrow was, and they're talking about that it's a torn ACL and he's out for the season. Uh, Finley came in, and we all know, you know, he was a star quarterback at NC State at three 3,000-yard seasons, fourth-round draft choice, but he came into the game. And Jeff... He was like a deer in headlights. <laughs> he he was holding on to the ball too long. Well, it was yeah. obvious that he was con- totally confused by the looks that the Redskins were giving him. He was lost. Yeah, and I'm sure with a week of uh, a practice under his belt, he'll be a little bit better prepared against the Giants. But Finley did not look comfortable in any way, shape, or form on that field. Well, you know the story behind the number two quarterback. You don't get any reps at number one. So, I mean, you're taking mental reps and you're in the meeting rooms and all kind of stuff. But, you know, when you get thrown into the fire like that with not having true reps in the game, um, it's tough. And, you know, the Redskins, they just kind of pin their ears back and say, hey, okay, we're going to make you make a mistake because, you know, we know that you haven't been practicing much behind this offense. So, and I think that going into the game this week against Cincinnati, uh, Finley, he'll have his own little game plan. You know, they'll they'll design plays around him to to put him in good situations to succeed. So, um, I don't know if they'll go out and throw the ball as much as they do with Joe Burrow. They'll probably rely a little bit on uh, Gio Bernard in that running game. So, uh, is it P Ryan? Those two guys. So, I think that's kind of where you're going to see. So, the Giants' defense are going to have to probably understand that the running stopping the run is going to be their main purpose. Because I'm not I'm not real real afraid of Finley throwing the football, if you ask me. Well, and again, that's the problem for the Bengals. If you're going to try to attack the Giants, uh, what do you do? You know that your skill positions offensively are really best served to throw it, but now you don't have your regular quarterback. You have a guy who last year was only 0-3 as a starter and had Mm -hmm. a really, really rough Mm -hmm. rookie taste of the NFL. I mean, it can't make you feel good, especially what you saw on tape the other day. So now... You have to go in with him, but you also know that you don't have much of a running game. Okay, it is, as you mentioned, my, my old guy, Samaje Pirine, who I, I loved coming out of school but did nothing for Washington and is now on his third team. And, and Giovanni Bernard, he's not really a lead back. He's not, he, he, he doesn't carry the ball 20 times a game. Mm-mm. He's just not a lead back. So, you know, you have a problem there because there's no Joe Mixon. You'd like to run the ball to, to kind of help out you know, your quarterback, but you really don't have the running game to do it. You don't have much of an offensive line. Your best players are your wide receivers. I mean, Higgins, Green, and Boyd, those are your best players. And if you can't get the ball to them, what are you supposed to do offensively? So I think this is a a big, big challenge for the Bengals to try to put together some type of game plan against the Giants. And then defensively, well, they play a ton of nickel, okay? They're quick. They do tackle pretty well. But they get gashed by the run, and quite honestly, they, they don't have enough really good cover guys in the backfield, and, and their linebackers are very suspect. It, look, it's not a very good Cincinnati team when they're all healthy. That's why they were able to get Joe Burrow in the draft and why he was their shining light. Mm-hmm. Without him and without Mixon, it's, it's not a very accomplished football team. But again, they're a wounded animal. 
The Giants need to go in there and play their best, and they need to continue to establish momentum. The last thing you can do is get overconfident from these two wins and go up there and, you know, underestimate your opponent um, just because of who they are. They're not going to lay down. They're, no, you know, they I'm sure they won't. Team. So that's what you got to caution. And I know that Joe Judge and his staff will definitely do a good job at that. I think the leadership in the locker room will do a good job with that. But, you know, you got to you got to ha- go ahead and you got to do it now. You know, you can't talk about it. So there's going to be plenty of talk about it this week because I think that's probably the point of emphasis is, hey, guys, listen, this is a Cincinnati Bengal team. You'll hear everybody say they're a good team. They're not a good team. They're, <laughs> they think they're a good team, but they're not. And well, you're a you better team is, than they are. Jeff, they don't have anything in the trenches. You know, they traded Carlos Dunlop, so they don't have any pass rush to speak of, and they don't have much of an offensive line. So if you can't win either side of the trenches, you have a real uphill battle to climb. So what the Giants need to do is say, look, this is an opponent that we should be able to impose our will on. Go in there and hammer them, convincingly pound them and beat them to a pulp. That's what you have to do. Yeah, pound them. Pound the football. Get that running game. You know, try to go. I mean, this this team should be able to get over 200 yards rushing this week. Um, Let's see if John throws that in there as an over-under for our regulars. Well, he's listening to the show, so you know he's going to. Something like that. But I think that (laughs) that's the game plan. And this game might get over in two hours and 45 minutes. If both teams have to run the football, um, that would be good, you know? So, uh, listen, eye on the prize, as Coach Coffin always used to say, go up there, win a game on the road, and don't turn the ball over. The, that is the true um, equation for Giants wins, right? Don't turn the ball over, you get wins. And if you can do it on the road, that's even better. So we'll see what happens. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games once again, and you can head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. 201-939-4513 is our telephone number on the program, and I think it's time we get to the calls. And Phil from North Carolina is on line number one. Hello. Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, we can. Okay. Uh, yeah, so so after adding to my comments on Daniel Jones and our running backs, just watching all the games, of course, disappointed that uh, uh, the Cowboys won. But... Um, the thing that struck me about the other team's players is, like, man, the Cowboys wide receivers, they really, as you say, Paul, play above the X's and O's. And uh, Noble envious of that wide receiver group, uh, they make it a lot easier for Andy Dalton. And then the other uh, comment was the Browns, those two running backs uh, are awesome. They, they run really hard. And uh, I know Wayne runs hard and Morris runs hard, but I wish uh, Saquon would run like uh, Nick Chubb, that's for sure. Uh, so those are my comments on the, just where we sit in terms of talent. And then as far as uh, Daniel Jones, I think he's played uh, the difference between this last game, which was he had a cleaner pocket in the middle versus what they were doing in Tampa. And I think that's why in Tampa he was – off a little on those deep throws because they just didn't have a clean pocket inside and it was kind of in its face. But when he had that clean pocket, I think the, the stats and the, and the PFS scores show that he's really um, uh, pretty high up there. So that's, that's impressive. So, um, and um, so, so 
I think we're going to be, uh, you know, as long as we can keep them clean inside, I think we're going to be, we're going to be fine. All right. Well, thanks for the phone call. Jeff, a- uh, thoughts on the fact that Daniel Jones is certainly pointing upwards with his arrow these last couple of weeks? Yeah, thank you. I could barely hear the, the, the caller, so I was having a hard time with the question. Thank you, that. Uh, no, obviously, yeah. Listen, I, I, I believe that when you have a running game, you're able to take pressure off of Daniel Jones, and that's that's clear what's happened the last few weeks. And, you know, if the Giants can still continue to run the football effectively – you're not going to ask a lot out of Daniel Jones. And by the way, the defense now has got to respect that run. Um, you look at the Philly game and, you know, the read option, they had to respect that thing because Daniel Jones can just take off and run 80 yards, 39 yards, whatever it was the last game. So you've got to be able to plan for that. And I think most teams now going forward are going to understand that the Giants have a formidable running game, both from the quarterback position. And, man, I'm looking at this – this National Football League over the weekend, and this the, the game of football is starting to evolve, Paul. As much as we don't like it, maybe these are old-fashioned guys, but, you know, Taysom Hill, I mean, look at the type of what's going on around the National Football League about these quarterbacks and running and the way that they're running these offenses, and it's just it's crazy to think that this is where it's going. Don't yeah, you think? Taysom Hill ran for two touchdowns yesterday, did not throw for any. <laughs> But Sean Payton now 6-0 and when he's got a backup quarterback in the lineup for the yeah. Saints. And that's a lot of credit to him for being able to adjust the game plan and do what he needs to do to get his guys to, to win. Yeah, I, I get it, Jeff. I still think that you're playing with fire, that the design runs by the quarterback should be kept to a minimum and used sure. only in very selective situations. I do think the point you made just before you said that, though, is really kind of funny because – for all the ripping that people wanted to to give to Daniel Jones earlier in this year, uh, every city in the NFL, if you go around and you listen to the announcers and you read the newspaper articles from around the NFL, the common thread and all of the quarterbacks who got into turnover-prone streaks all suffered from a lack of a running game. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson, uh, 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 Kyler Murray, uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, Carson Wentz, Daniel Jones. All of a sudden, it was like, okay, running game is not going well. And for that two, three, four-week period, the quarterback is trying to do too much. He's forcing the ball, and he's turning the ball over. This is this is something that naturally happens when those circumstances occur. And yet, for some strange reason, well, I know why, because Giant fans only care about the Giants. They all wanted to destroy Daniel Jones for that. But it's something that happens a lot to quarterbacks when they lose their balanced attack. (laughs) No question. I mean, actually, that's just, it's simple football, right? I mean, you got to have... It comes right out of Football 101. It's in the book. It's (laughs) like Chapter 5. Yep. I mean, and, and... If you become one-dimensional, which sometimes is not on purpose, you just if you can't do it, you can't do it. So, what's the defense do? Well, you know what? We will we will just challenge you to run the football here. So we're gonna just drop back, and you can kind of pass on us, but you know we're gonna get a pass rush on you. You're gonna turn the ball over, and the statistics tell us that if we can get you to turn the ball over more than we turn it over, you're gonna lose. And that's exactly what happened to the Giants. And good enough that the Giants' defense kept the Giants in, in games this year um, if they had not just 
you know, turned over the football and made some stupid bonehead penalties, mm-hmm. uh, this Giants, this whole NFC East would be a little bit different. But we can't talk about that because it is what it is. Just knowing going forward, if you can be consistent in your running game, like you said, Paul, it'll it'll t- definitely make your offense a little bit more easier to run, and it takes pressure off of your young quarterback. It also takes co- pressures off of all quarterbacks, even the old ones, if you got a good running game. And by the way, if you can win – if you can get into the fourth quarter in the four-minute game and you have a, a formidable running game, you've got a great chance to seal the win then, right? So if you could, Because if you can't run the football and you're ahead for some reason in those last four minutes and you've got to make first downs, um, you're going to get the ball back to the other team and they're going to most likely make some plays. Jeff, and you just hit a soft spot for me. You oh opened up the can of worms. Don't there you, you know this is why you see so many comebacks in the final two minutes or minute and a half of a game? It's sure. because there are well, enough night. of teams that can milk the final four minutes off of a clock. That's right. Time after time after time, you will see teams who can't milk the final four minutes. They'll milk a couple of minutes off, but they're going to leave time for the other guys. Or if they score, they score too quickly, and the other team comes rifling back, throwing the ball down the field, and boom, 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 and all of a sudden they steal a victory out of the jaws at the feet with a drive that took like 75 seconds. And, yeah, yeah, Mahomes did it last night to the Raiders. But it happens time and time again in this league. And that's because you don't have enough of franchises who value a ground-and-pound running game that they can pull it out when they need to to milk the final four, five, even six minutes off the clock. And that's what's got to happen. You know, the Vikings-Cowboys game yesterday, okay, I was a 1,000% sure that if the Vikings had been able, when they got the ball back with six minutes to go, I said to my daughter, I said, you know what? If the Vikings are able to run the ball with with Cook now, they can take the final six minutes off the clock. Dallas will not touch the ball, and this game is over. Mm-hmm. But they didn't do it, did they? No. Nope. Not, not a bit. And because the when that... they needed to call on their running game, it wasn't there. And sure. that's the point. Your, your yeah. running game has to be there at the times you need it most. You don't have to have it for all four quarters, but you need to have it when it's it's important. The other thing that these quarterbacks do, do is they, they, they leave seconds on the clock. I've seen, you know, even in the college game, it drives me nuts. Now, I can see in the college game, but this shouldn't happen there either. But, you know, they're trying to milk clock, and they're snapping the ball with 14 seconds left on the play clock while the while the clock is running. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take three or four or five of those plays and take 10 seconds, if you will, on five of those plays, that's 50 seconds. That's almost a whole minute. you got to be smarter than that. you got to understand, and I don't know if it's just because these guys are young and, and that they're not paying attention to it, but who's coaching it? I mean, i gotta, I got to think that you got to be told in the huddle or through the, the headset or on the sideline, snap the ball with two seconds left. Get let's, let's let's chip away some of those 14 seconds, 13 seconds. It's all cumulative, and at the very end of the game, if you had done that, you know, five to eight to ten times, you're a couple minutes. So I, that just drives me nuts when people do that. Now Eli used to do it, like he used to do it down to the half a second and snap the football and get yeah. and get a delay a game in there. Um, but I think that that's the one way that you can learn to burn some of those that those seconds off the clock by letting that playcock go down to one or two seconds before you snap the ball. 
Well, Jeff, we are in the middle of a video game era, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. The coaching's yeah. not as good as it used to be, and the quality of play has been watered down. We just have to live with it. We go to line two. It's Ryan from Virginia. You're Hi, next Ryan. on the show. Hello. Hey, what's going on, Jeff and Paul? Hope you guys and your families are doing well. You too. Hey, yeah, just, thank you. Uh, just, just, wanted, just wanted to reach out. Um, I, I think just one thing I wanted to get into before I got into my two points um, adding to what you said, Jeff, about having a good running game, not only do you control the game, um, it keeps your defense well-rested on the sidelines. Sure. Uh, if, you, if you're chucking the ball all over the place and you're trying to milk the clock and you get, let's say, a three and out uh, without even you know, taking some time off the clock where you can, sell, where you can milk down a minute um, and it's you know, like a, like a four-minute offense and there's time left in the game and you give the, you give the, the other team the ball back, I mean, that's an extra minute your defense potentially has to be on the field. Mm-hmm. So, and that's uh, that's the first point I want to make. But um, the the reason I feel I feel good um, about going forward about um, this team is what what did Joe Judge say in his his press conference? He's like, we want to punch you in the nose for sixty minutes. And what has this team done? Um, kind of found their identity. Um, I obviously looked up and did a little bit of research before the call and. The Giants right now, this is all for the past three games. Um, they're top five in rushing, rushing yards per game. Um, and I know, Jeff, we talked about this uh, before the Giants played the Eagles the first time, uh, about how important red zone percentage was TD-wise. Right now, I believe they're, they're top five at close to 80% um, in the past three games. And then their defense, um, offensively, uh, they're averaging about 20, 24, 25 a game, which puts them in the – in the top half, and their defense has been top half, um, top ten um, the entire year. Um, but they got to make sure that even though they are playing a backup quarterback, this can't be, you know, now they call it the trap game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe, you know, Joe Judge will keep them guys motivated and and ready to play. Um, I do, I do expect this. I do expect the Giants to come in and, like like you said, Paul, um, enforce their will. I think the Giants can get 150 to 200 yards uh, on the ground. And then, like, when Joe Judge's talking about punching in the nose for, for 60 minutes, I think it's going to be jab on top of jab on top of jab, a hook here and a hook there. And then I'm hoping, <laughs> hoping by the um, second quarter to early in the third quarter, the Giants will hit you with that knockout blow um, to where – because if, if, this, if this Giants team can get them down, you know, 10, 15, 20 points, and then they have to put it on – um, their backup family to, to throw the ball. Um, I think this defense, especially with, with the way Patrick Graham has been scheming um, his defenses, I, I think this one could get could get ugly in the in, in the right way for us. Good. And adding on to that to that point going in, going forward, I mean you look you look at the Giants you look at the Giants schedule um, between all the other teams in the East. We arguably have the toughest schedule. Um, we have the Bengals and we got the Seahawks, the Cardinals. And then the Ravens. I mean, this these next don't five forget games, the Browns in there either. Uh, th- yeah, exactly the the Browns, which is my dad's favorite team. But um, these next five games, I mean, if if the I think if the Giants can go three and two, four and one, I think they can put themselves in a very very good position um, to to take to run away, not run away, but take control of this lead in this in this division. Just because, like you said, the way this team is playing now, they're getting confident. 
they're getting the continuity the continuity they're they're realizing their identity and then the players are like i said they're they're getting more confident now you're going to see um players start to get healthy again you talk about O'Shane Zimenez you might be able to sprinkle a little Xavier McKinney in there so now um not only will the defense get better um there's going to be players that's going to be more more rested so i think this is I think this weekend for the Giants needs to be – they haven't had that statement game, um, and honestly, in a couple of years. So where, where a team goes out and the Giants put up 30-plus and then hold a team under 15 or under 10. And the way that it's shaping up, this could, this could be that potential game this weekend where it's, it's domination on both sides. And we're going to need something like that um, – Going uh, to to finish this game and then going against playing against you know arguing me personally is the the most underrated quarterback in NFL history and Russell Wilson um, just because I mean the man can pretty much do do everything you can give that man a you can give that man a yeah. a, a bunch a bunch of a bunch of wings and bags of chips and he'll still find a way to 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 make a team win so this game is definitely huge huge for us but I think this can, this is going to be that that statement game that everybody around the, everybody around the league is going to see and just say, hey, this, this New York Giants team is, is, is nobody to, to fool with or mess with. This, te- this team is moving in the right direction. They got the right coach. They got the right quarterback. <clears throat> they, got the, they, they have the right culture in place to move forward. Well, I appreciate the call, Ryan. Please give us a call back again. And, and Jeff, I will say this. You know, I, I call this one of those drop-the-hammer games where you really have to assert yourself and show everybody that you are the big bully on the block. And this is an opportunity for the Giants to do that. And, and to me, you don't want to squeak past – you know, you want the win, but you don't want a 15-13 or 12-10 win. You want, to, you want to really drop the hammer on the Bengals and show everybody that you're building some momentum. I did see over the last five days, I've gotten the chance to watch the Bengals, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and the Browns, the Giants' next four opponents – and you know, call me crazy if you want to. Okay. But if the if the Giants play as well as they did against Philadelphia the other day, a week and a half ago, they are competitive against every single one of those teams, sure. and there's no reason why they can't come out with wins. Now, I'm not telling you they're going to win the next four in a row. I'm not going to say that. I'm not that crazy. But what I am saying is. I think they can belong on the field with any of those teams. None of those teams scare me to the point where I think the Giants should go in necessarily as a totally uh, underwhelming underdog. Now, I thought that maybe about Seattle a month ago, but then Seattle ran into their troubles, and they've got some Achilles heels too, including their defense. Yeah. Well, the one thing that the Giants are going to have to go up against all those teams you just mentioned are running quarterbacks. Um, so Yeah, but no pass rush, Jeff. These teams, these four teams coming up don't have a great – the yeah. next three for sure don't have a pass rush, and Cleveland's got an okay pass rush. I know yeah. what they did yesterday. Well, but, and, those, and the teams you know. that those guys are going up against, they give up points too. So, yes. Um, and the Cincinnati – and I'm just, you know, focusing on the, the game this weekend and trying to figure out a way to, to win this game against the, the Bengals. And, and if they can continue to do – you look at this team, the way that they're scoring in the first quarter, in the first half. You know, they're putting points up. Um, so they got to continue to do that and then play some good defense in the second half of these football games. And then, like you said, throw the, put the hammer down, you know, close out games, finish. And that's kind of like what Joe judge has been saying. We got to finish. We got to finish. Well, 
you get you carry the lead into the fourth quarter against a subpar football team, you got to finish the game. That's when you got to take that hammer and throw it down and and say, hey, listen, we're not going to let anything happen here. Okay, we're going to build on this. We've won two games in a row, and now it's going to be three. But we got to finish, finish this fourth quarter. And I think they can do that against Cincinnati this week because they do not have the firepower to come to get in a first of all get in a shootout, but second of all to have the ability to come back and beat you. They just don't have it. They really don't. They have the weapons on offense from the skill position, but they I don't think they have a quarterback to get it to them. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games once again. Head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. And you can get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants. Member FDIC. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab tests through Quest Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. 201-939-4513 is our phone number. We go to line three. It's Angelo from Dallas. Hello, Angelo. Hey, fellas. Hey, fellas. Hey, a couple of questions for you. One, have we got a definitive answer on whether it's sustainable to interchange the offensive linemen as Joe Judge has implemented? I guess I'm just curious of whether that will, whether that's sustainable, you know, whether that has worked, you know, with other coaches and other teams. It's interesting because I don't, I don't, I haven't heard of it before. Um, We've heard of it on the defensive line, and we've talked about that. But on the offensive line, uh, you know, is it sustainable? I, I think that I think that you're going to see it the rest of the season. I think that's just the way that Joe Judge is going to going to do this, and I think he's going to live and die by it. And I think that in the meantime, while you're doing it, you're giving all those younger guys experience. And then, will you see it again next year? I don't know, but I think you will and continue and that, to see it. Yeah, okay, Angelo, it's it's unconventional. It, it is unconventional. Right. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I will say this. I believe that Joe Judge would not even think about it if these rookies had not shown such progress during their first seasons that they've earned and deserve an opportunity to get some reps. I think if, if for example, Matt Parrott, when he came out of UConn, we all suggested that he was going to be a redshirt that he probably wouldn't even get a jersey on game day. He would probably be inactive and have to watch for the season. But what happens? He comes to camp, and all of a sudden, it looks like he's a heck of a lot further along than anybody could have imagined. Well, Joe Judge's you know, uh, decision is that these guys, you know, your perts and your, your muse of the world, although obviously there was a COVID situation with Will Hernandez, but clearly he's decided that, hey, you know what? These guys are looking really good at practice. Let me sprinkle them in a little bit. And the only reason that you would keep doing that is if you think those guys are giving you some dividends. If they went in there and embarrassed themselves and showed they weren't ready, Joe Judge would stick their butts on the bench and he would scrap this whole idea. Trust me. Yeah, and and, and I think that's the case. And I was more thinking that hopefully because I think I, I, I'm – I think continuity probably is the best because I mean, that's the old adage, but I didn't know if you had a chance to check with Snee or Deal to see, okay, is it sustainable? Is the continuity that much of importance with, you know, you think about 07 and 11 for the Giants. That's yeah. what the main thing I really talked about was the continuity of those linemen. With that said, do y'all think that we have our starting five offensive linemen on the roster for next year today? I do. Oh, yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I do. Hmm. I do. I think, so you think that we'll be getting more depth next year. Of course. You have to. Year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, 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 what Paul is saying about the depth, there's depth there now. I mean, you've got, right. you know, probably eight guys that can play five positions. And, you know, you really only carry at the most, Paul, what, nine? Never You're going to carry nine on linemen. game day. I mean, yeah. think about this. In, in the last several years, you were worried about the starting five. You, you probably said to yourself, okay, there's three guys. Maybe there's four guys you're, you might be comfortable with. But you really don't particularly uh, want to throw a party for your starting five. Never mind any of the backups. Well, right now, what are you looking at? You're looking at the starting five, plus you've got two backups already that have proven they can give you some quality minutes, even though they're only rookies. Think about the difference of, of what your mentality is about the Giants' O-line these days. Yeah, so and that's interesting how we handle Nate Soldier coming back next year if we do dead cap, what happens in that. So in the last yeah. one was, um, and I'll take this offline, is, you know, it was stated that um, Joe Judge has been with the offensive line in reports and practices for the last couple of weeks, and do y'all attribute the, the success, if you will, to his extra attention or, you know, just, you know, the disputes between him and Colombo. So I'll take that offline. Thank you all. Sure. Well, I, I would say this, uh, whatever philosophical uh, approach that the head coach has, it's his call if he wants to make a change. And I think all of us have talked about Mark Colombo over the course of time here. We all like him. We all think he's a terrific offensive line coach, and we all gave him credit for, for bringing some of these guys along. But, again, if there's a philosophical difference, if that's what it was, then the head coach has the right to make a change. And I'm, I'm not going to badmouth Coach Colombo or Coach Judge. I'll simply say what happened happened, and it's the coach's right to do that. I will say Dave DeGuglielmo, who's coming in, is a guy who, Joe, I think, Jeff, you should probably address what you know about him since you were here on the team when he was here. I mean, I covered the team, but you were in the locker room with the guy. Mm-hmm. He is very intense. He's very energized. He's very loud. And he worked under Pat Flaherty, one of the best offensive line coaches in the game. Yeah, and that was quite a while ago. So you imagine the experience that he's picked up since then. So I think he's very uh, highly regarded. And obviously he has a connection with Joe Judge up in New England when he was up there. And, and you know, these, these coaches, uh, you know, the brotherhood between them are, are very, very deep. And I think that they, what happens when they work together is they develop philosophies together. They develop, um, you know, winning attitudes and things that they do. And they like people that were, will be able to be on the same page as them. So not saying that I know anything about the situation. I'm just trying to talk about it a little bit is that, you know, maybe Joe Judge and, and Columbo were not on the same page. They, they, they really never coached together, right? I mean, so they, they just kind of have things happen. And not only in football, but in everyday life and business and things like that. There's, you know, sometimes the, the work atmosphere and culture around it, not everybody can get along. Um, and when things happen, things happen. So you, as a company, you move to the best possible solution and in Joe Judge's mind this was the best possible solution so and and Googe is a guy who is like you said Paul very very full of energy um, he's a hard worker that he's serious um, and he has really good good ideas and and obviously there's there's a philosophy here that is being brought in by by Joe and by Dave Googe, uh to coach that running game you know, and some of the techniques and fundamentals. And, you know, I don't know what happened there, but obviously there, there was something that just wasn't up to par and, and they decided to go their separate ways. So and, and it is what will, it is. I will add one thing which is a little bit related. 
this is not the first time that an assistant coach has been changed out during the course of the season. In well, fact, no, you know, it happened with me. When, well, it, um, I was going to say Huff- 2006, yeah. right? Huffnagel got got Yeah, canned. for Gilbride. Yeah. For Gilbride. Gilbride yes. was the quarterback's coach. That's Huffnagel right. was the offensive coordinator down near the, the 2006. They were coming down the home stretch of the season, and Tom Coughlin removes Huffnagel and tells Gilbride, no, no, you're, not, you're now the OC. Forget about quarterback's coach. You're now the OC. That's right. I mean, so, you know, yeah, does it does it happen often? It does not. But this is not like breaking precedent here. This has been done before. It's not the first time an assistant coach has ever lost his job during the middle of a season. That's my point. That's all. Yeah, it happens. We, it happens. we go back to the phones at 201-939-4513. Looks like we've got Jason in line one from New Haven, Connecticut. Hello, Yale Bowl territory up there. <laughs> Hey, how you guys doing? Good. Hi. Um, Paul, I guess I'll make my uh, my question or my statement quick because you kind of took some of my thunder. Um, how dare you, Paul? <laughs> uh, so, so long story short, I um I kind of want to talk about what you said, Paul, about having a statement game. Um, so many times as Giants fans, and I'm sure as you guys cover and played, um. Under McAdoo, Shermer, and sometimes even under Coughlin, who was a Hall of Fame coach, we would come out, think we'd be the team that, you know, we should be, and we'd lay an egg or the team, we'd have a close game. And I think it's so important for us to come out against Cincinnati, who's a wounded dog right now, and and make a statement to the NFL, like, hey, you know, we're here. Um, And, you know, I'm not saying we're going to the playoffs or we're going to go deep, even if we do make it, but it would be nice to have a statement game saying, hey, we're not an easy out, you know, even for the big dogs that is coming up on the schedule, Baltimore, Seattle, you know, it's not going to be an easy game where you play the Giants. And uh, it, was so, it was so great to hear you talk about that, Paul, in terms of having that statement game and beating on teams we should beat. Um, I know it's probably not a big game this weekend in the national aspect, but as far as Giants fans, in my, in my consideration, I think it is a big game. And we have to come out all cylinders, and we have to put them down. Um, and one more thing before I let you guys go, or two more things, um, Paul, like you were saying earlier too, some of these big big teams that we're talking about, the Ravens and the Seahawks, you know, call me crazy, but, you know, I, I'm just not, you know, of course I'm not getting on the field, but I just don't feel intimidated playing these guys. I don't see a – a team that's like, oh, my God, we got to go against these guys. Like, the Ravens have warts. The Seahawks have warts. And why not us? Why why can't we beat these teams? Will it be hard? Of course. But why can't we beat them? And uh, I think it will be a good challenge the next few weeks. And can you guys also talk about Nick Gates? Um, I think he's done a pretty decent job transition from tackle guard to center. And uh, can you guys kind of talk about that? And I'll take it off the air. Sure. Um, I'll let you talk about Gates in a second, Jeff. I just okay. want to say this. The Giants, you know, have already faced the cream of the crop in the league and the Steelers, who are now 10-0 and and undefeated back in week number one. Mm-hmm. I've said all along I think the Steelers are going to the Super Bowl. So it didn't surprise me that the Giants lost, but they certainly gave that team a run. I think if you talk about the class of the league right now 
And I know what the records say, but I do think that the Steelers and the Chiefs are the two teams that are kind of head and shoulders above everybody else in the NFL. Other than that, when you take a step down to the next level and you talk about the Seahawks and the Rams and the Buccaneers and, you know, the Packers, these teams, they do have flaws. And I don't think anybody of the Giants' ilk should be intimidated or automatically go into a game against those teams, as they've shown over the last month or so, that they can be beaten. Well, I, I think that, you know, if we were having this discussion at the beginning of the season, I think we would be it would be a different discussion. I mean, this last two weeks and even just seeing how this Giants team has played even the games they've lost, that we you have a, an idea in your mind that if they do the right thing, they have the talent to win. Um, their biggest Achilles heel is turnovers and penalties. If they can get away from those like they have, then they can compete. They definitely can compete. They've got a running game. They've got a quarterback who, if he's making the right decisions, can throw the football. And they've got a defense that we thought at the very beginning of the season, Paul, we were sitting there scratching our heads as far as who's going to get to the quarterback. How is this team going to get pressure on the quarterback? Well, they they've, they've, have proved us all wrong about talking about that. And they've done a nice job with it. So I think that, you know, when you look at this team offensively is where they've got to improve going forward in these next six games. But I agree with you. This team, these teams can compete. This team can compete with these teams. When you get to the elite level, um, then on paper, you got a little bit of a problem because those other teams, not only do they have good depth, but they also have really, really good players. I mean, like, you know, players that are the best in the league at some of their positions. Well, what it comes down to is the teams that have the very formidable defensive fronts are the teams that are going to give the Giants the most trouble. And ironically, yeah. ironically, as the season has gone on, the Giants have actually performed better against those teams to the point where not only can they compete with them, but they can beat them. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's the real difference in what I've said all along, that – the Giants are better than their record indicates. I mean, look, since that 0-4 start, which was the pseudo-preseason, the Giants are the only team in the NFC East that has a 500 record. They are 3-3 three and three after the first four games. If you just chop them off, the Giants are 3-3. Three and three, The other three teams are 2-4. and four. The Giants are the only team within the NFC East that has an intra-divisional record that is above 500. They're three and two in the division. Nobody else within the East against their own has an above 500 record. So, you know, there are legitimate factual reasons you can point to when you say, you know what? The Giants right now have as good a chance, if not better than anybody else, to maybe win this thing. Yeah. Hey, just win your division. As we always say, the one way to get to the playoffs, win your division in a weird, weird way. Um, somebody with a losing record, when in all in all reality, you think that's going to happen, is going to win the NFC East with a losing record, and that's okay. But you know, when we talked about how when Patrick Graham was with the Dolphins last season, and that team started playing way better in the second half of the season, I I, I mean, I got to believe that this Giants team is going to do the same. And they're, they're a legit they, playoff team, by the way, now, aren't they? The Dolphins. Yes, they're right in absolutely. the middle of it. They look like they're going to the playoffs. Yeah. And they, you know, they, they showed you that they can turn a season around or turn a team around in just a matter of a year and a half. So I think that this Giants team, because they have confidence, knowing that they can go and win. Now, they've got to win outside the division. That's the big one. 
they got a chance this weekend to to start there, right? Yeah. Paul, I mean, yeah. that's kind of like if that's on my list, I need to, I need to check that box. And yeah, I don't care who it is, even to know that Cincinnati, who's not a good football team, I got to win some games outside the division because I'm going to go play a bunch of them until the last game of the regular season, which is against the Dallas Cowboys, which, by the way, could be come down to all the marbles. You it know? could. It could. I asked people on Twitter last night, Jeff, how many wins will it take to become the 2020 NFC East Yeah, I'm champions? interested to see what everybody said. I got over 1,300 votes since last night. Uh, 6.4% said five. 49% said six. 40.6% said seven. And 4.1% said eight. I am of the opinion that seven is going to be the magic number. So the Giants would have to go four and two over the final six games after splitting the previous six at three and three. To me, that would give them the division title. Yeah, and that doesn't seem easy um, when you throw in those teams that they they, they got to play. Um, you know, especially on the road. Although Seattle's coming to the Giants. Um, no, Arizona- they're going to Seattle. They're going to Seattle. The Giants are going to Seattle. You you have to beat Cincinnati because that's a team that you should beat. Yeah. Obviously, that's got to be one of your four wins if you're looking for four. You Dallas. have to beat Dallas the end of the season. That would be two. So then you gotta you gotta split between Seattle, Arizona, Cleveland, and Baltimore. You gotta come out with two and two to yeah. get to seven. And I think Cleveland's probably the one you could say. Although you know what, I'll tell you what. I I don't know. I don't know. Like you said, we we couldn't. We don't know what's happening. You know, Russell Wilson could be out of the lineup. Can you even name who Russell Wilson's backup is? No, <laughs> no, you can't. Not right this very second. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I, I got to worry about Cincinnati this that's week. That's right. You worry about Cincinnati. <laughs> what, do they, what do they say up there in New England? We're on to Cincinnati. We're exactly, on to Cincinnati. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's the bottom line right now for the New York Football Giants. We go back to the phones at 201-939-4513. Hugo from New Jersey is on line two. You're next on the show. Hello. Yeah, hi. Um, you know, it's, it's ironic that you just uh, went to the uh, Adonta Cincinnati line from uh, from the <laughs> Patriots. I did want to talk a little bit about Coach Judge. And, you know, since we're, we were on the bye week, I started looking at some big picture things. And I did look back when we hired Coach Judge and sort of uh, – Looked around the league at that time uh, about the other teams' coaching searches. It doesn't seem like he interviewed with anyone else uh, but the Giants. So, you know, given given how strong a start he's had as a head coach, I'm just wondering why that was the case. So, so when I thought about it, you know, I'm thinking that maybe Bill Belichick has done us a bit of a favor here and uh, let us in on some inside information. And, and I do think that Belichick, if, if there's been one criticism of him, has been that his coaching tree hasn't been all that great. Uh, I mean, his legacy as a winning coach with six Super Bowls is, is secured. So I, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that in the last few years, he's been working on the young people and his, his staff and making sure that they develop so that the coaching tree aspect, which is, I think, something coaches take a lot of pride in, uh, really starts to flourish. And I, I think he's got a, a fair amount of high regard for the Giants organization. And maybe he, he let us in on, on a well-kept secret because I, I just find it very odd. We were the only team that interviewed this guy, and this guy, uh, you know, really has it together. Uh, I'm wondering if you guys have any insight. Mm. 
Well, I mean, we do know that John Mara had conversations with Bill Belichick, and Belichick had recommended Judge for the interview. And the second that they had the interview with him, they were impressed with him. Uh, yeah. But but he, he came with glowing reviews from Belichick. And by the way, let's not ignore the fact that Mike Vrabel has had two winning seasons, including a playoff season with the Titans, and is well on his way yeah. to going to the playoffs this year. So Vrabel is part of that Patriots-Belichick tree also. So I appreciate the fact that there have been others who haven't done well, but Vrabel and Judge, to me, seem as though they're kind of breaking that, that chain. Yeah, and Brian Flores in Miami. So Flor- it's Flores, too. You know, You're absolutely three, right. Yeah. I didn't mean to slight him. Three young coaches. It's, 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 I think it's almost intentional. It's that he, he's really that, probably been spending some time and developing some of these young staff. Hey, I do have a question for you. And, and, Paul, I'm kind of old school, and I remember the uh, Sims to Bavaro scene pass. Oh. And I just don't see the scene pass as much to the tight end in the NFL anymore. Nope. You know, when I look at uh, Evan Ingram, he mostly does, uh, you know, crossing routes. He catches stuff on the sidelines, but nothing. Uh, up Kansas City it. uses it with Kelsey. <laughs> you know, what's that? Kansas City what's uses that? it with Kelsey. But you're right. Uh, well, yeah. The two the two yeah. passes that I have seen kind of evaporate into the uh, thin air. Uh, we've lost the back shoulder throw, which is my favorite weapon of all time. I absolutely love the back shoulder throw, and and the Giants have really allowed that to kind of whittle away, and also the tight end seam pass. That's another one. And with Ingram and his athleticism, all we hear about is he's a matchup nightmare for people. Well, then why the heck aren't they using the seam pass? Because that should take exactly. advantage of that edge. And But yeah. those two plays – don't seem to have much much uh, clout in the playbook, and I can't tell you why. It's been a long time now. This isn't something that's new to this staff. I mean, the last two, yeah. three coaching staffs didn't believe in those plays. Yeah. Well, you would hope that with an improved running game, um, you know, maybe some safeties come up and, and the middle of the field is open, and, and we see that pass. I really, you know, that, that was one aspect of the uh, 1980s Giants football that I really – that I really enjoyed. Sims Anyhow, to Vobaro. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. Right, Thanks for the call, Hugo. Okay. Be good. 201-939-4513. We're running short on time, so we go to Peter from Florida on line number one. Hello. Hey, guys. How you doing today? Hi. Good. How are you? Good, good, good. Hey, so um, I wanted to touch on something that Coach Marvin said last week. He had a really, really good call about um, – how the Giants, and first of all, it's great to be a, a Giants fan these days. Watching a Sunday afternoon game and actually being excited again, it's so refreshing, and it's, it's an amazing <laughs> it's about thing. time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. So back to Coach Marvin. He had a really good point about how to win. Well, how, how to become a successful organization is first you need to learn how to compete, then you need to learn how to win. And I forgot what that third um, step of the process was, but I guess – what I, what I wanted to ask is, it's, it's an amazing time when you're a Giants fan, but when you... Oh, I think we lost him. Oop. Oh, sorry, Peter. Call back. We should, we should remind people, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games once again. Head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. 
few minutes left on the show. If you want to get back in, Peter, bring us again, 201-939-4513. Real quickly, Jeff, uh, in terms of the Giants coming off of the bye week, you know, for, for years and years and years, the media has loved to talk about coaches who have great records coming off of the bye like Andy Reid and then other organizations that have had trouble doing so. I just ask you quickly, because I know Peter's coming back on the line, uh, do you think there truly is any credence to teams that have historically good or bad records coming off of the bye? Well, uh, no, you know what? They're different teams. That's the thing. I mean, I mean, if you're if you're bad coming off the bye four years ago, why would you be bi- bad well, coming off the bye? This how about this? Co- not necessarily teams, but coaches. Do you believe that there is something about the way coaches do things that allows them more success out of a bye week? Well, I think yeah. I think some sometimes coaches because and here's my philosophy on it. You know, coaches are week to week. You know, they they get they're so they're so regimented. You know, they're they're on Tuesdays they do this, Mondays they do this. I think during the bye week, they sometimes may may do too much. They kind of overcoach or try to look at things a little bit too much, and then they go into the game and it just it's not normal. That's my guess. I I, I can't tell you why or you know what what it is, but that's kind of my uh, my reason why some players or some teams are better or coaches, excuse me, that are better than others because I think that maybe some guys just don't work on the right thing coming out of a bye, and some coaches do. I mean, well, I do know this. The Giants are getting back to a regular practice today. Joe Judge had given the Giants off Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and nice. told them that on, on Monday, going to knock the rust off, going to get out there okay. in pads, and going to hit. Really? On Monday they did? Today? That's, that's today. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Tuesday, they got to have a day off during the week, I would imagine. They will so have tomorrow, tomorrow off. That is yeah, correct. And then they'll come back and have their regular uh, You know how important it is for coaches and players to get back to their regiment. Because they are creatures of habit, and that's a good thing. And and by the way, you know that that rest was well deserved, very well deserved. It energizes guys. I mean, for 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 me as a player, um, it just gave you a little extra time to breathe, a little extra time. You know, we watch football as much as we can when you're playing. When I was playing, but you don't get to see that much football because you're playing on Sunday. You never get you get to watch the Sunday night game most of the time because you're you're usually home by then. And then you can watch the Monday night game if you could stay up that late. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for the most part, and the Thursday night game. But you don't get a whole slate of football. It's a lot of fun by just hanging out. You can kind of do things if you have young kids for the family. You know, that time off is really important. Um, I think for the coaches, it's the same thing because those guys put in such long hours. They're away from their families. Um, they get a chance to really connect with them. And then all of a sudden, they go back to the grind again. So, I think it refreshes them, and I think it's a good thing. And, the, and I like where the bye came with, with the Giants this year. I think it worked out perfectly because, you know, you're getting some guys back. And, um, you know, the bye right at the beginning of the year after the fourth game or fifth game is just uh, – I think it's just way too early. I agree. All right, Peter is back on the line, so right, we're going to give him continue. a couple of minutes here and try to finish up his call. Go ahead, Peter. Sure. sure. Hey, sorry about that. I don't That's know okay. what happened there. Um, <laughs> So essentially what I wanted to say was, building off of what Coach Marvin said, was I think it's very important for the Giants to learn how to win, and they should absolutely, you know, beat those bad teams, you know. The next stage that some people say is you've got to beat the good teams. But just as importantly as that, after that next stage, what I want to see truly from Daniel Jones is Giants down by four, two minutes left in the game, he has the ball. Does he have the ice in his veins to win that game? 
And I think that is equally important. You know, I, after seeing him that first game against Tampa last year, I was like, wow, look at what we had. Now, I don't know if he truly is that comeback guy. You know, when Eli went through that uh, magical run, when we were down by three, four, five points with one drive to go, right. it was in the books, man. We knew he was going to come back and win that game. He did it, what, four or five times that year. That's the one thing that I'm going to be looking forward to, to see if DJ does have that skill set. And thanks, guys. Have a great Thanksgiving. Sure, you too. Enjoy the holiday. Well, Eli, of course, had the uh, come-from-behind win against Dallas in the final game of his rookie season. And John Mara has famously uh, told the story about how he told Ernie Accorsi in the tunnel after that game, we found our guy. I mean, that was that mm-hmm. was the moment where John Mara was 100% sure that Eli was going to be the next franchise guy. If there was any doubts before that, they were erased in that game. Uh, Eli, in his first three years as a starter, had that one comeback win as a rookie, a game-winning drive against Dallas, and then in each of the next two seasons had two apiece. So that was five through his first three seasons in the league. He wound up finishing his career with 37 game-winning drives during the regular season. Now, to this point, just FYI, Daniel Jones had two last year as a rookie and has not had one yet this season. So I get it. You'd like to see him put at least one or two of those in the books this year. But if he doesn't, I don't think there's any cause for alarm. Yeah, it's just a matter of situations, right? I mean, he's going to get his share. It's just the way the football works. He's definitely going to get them. Um, but I understand what the caller was talking about. I mean, you just kind of want to see if, if, you wanna, if he has that gear, right? And uh, we did see it last year. And, um, you know, unfortunately, he hasn't had to. You know, you're going to see it, Paul. you got to see it, right? I mean, I was part of those four of the five that you talked about. Actually, I was part of all of them. You kidding yeah. me? <laughs> yeah. And you could just tell that, you know, those types of drives that he did and just kind of you just kind of had an idea that he just had the it. He could make it happen. Um, and Daniel Jones is certainly, hopefully, he's going to be able to make it happen many, many times. And you just don't want to be in too many of those situations. But when you are... You want to have confidence that he can he can do the do the job. And I tell you what, if you have a running game and you have an offensive line that can sit back and and hold hold the the pressure, he, and when you're going to have to throw the football, he's got the arm to make the throw. He's got the smarts to do it, and I think he will eventually. Jeff, if it's okay with you, I just assume the Giants have the lead throughout each of the next six games, and they go on a six game run without having to come back. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, win the division at nine and seven. Is wow, that okay that with was, you? Holy, sp- I'm I, just I, checking I, because I don't then make he wouldn't have get- any comeback wins, right? Well, and I, I don't want you to be disappointed. Yeah, well, I will. I don't make very many guarantees, <laughs> but if the Giants are nine and seven, I will guarantee you they win the division. <laughs> Actually, if they go nine and seven, the only team that could beat them would be Philadelphia at yeah. nine six and one. Well, not the uh, way the- that Wentz is playing. He's a turnover machine. So, yeah, just watching him yesterday, I just I was just laughing. My boys were we were watching football yesterday, and I said, "Watch, he's gonna turn it over. He's he's got to turn it over. He's gonna." Turn it over. Boom. Turn over. <laughs> That'll so- do it for today's show, Jeff. Always All right, good Paul, to be with thank you. you. Thank you, John. Thanks for everybody for listening. Whoever was producing the show over there today, I don't know who it was. but <laughs> Today's episode calls. of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. 
As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. And by the way, for Jeff, Pearson was the producer today. Pearson, okay. And I realize Jeff doesn't like to know the little people or talk to them, but he he should recognize that Pearson, who does pretty much every show, by the way, Mm -hmm. was the man in the producer's chair today, Jeff. So there you go. Very good. And by the way, John, I do say... I do say thank you, Pearson, no, all the I time. Pearson, help me out you. here. I know. I'm just teasing. All right. Just Jeff never, sure. ever forgot about his long snappers. Ever, I never forget ever. about my people. I just don't know who's ever. there. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. <laughs> Thanks, Pearson. Thanks, John. Yeah, thank, thank you, you Mr. Fegels. We'll talk yep. to you again next time, everybody. Have so a great long. one, everybody.